Sasquatch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we will be discussing an article that Dr. Carla Wilkie wrote for the April issue of the Beef Watch newsletter titled, What to Do During a Distiller's Grain Shortage. Thanks for joining me today, Dr. Wilkie. Thanks for having me. Dr. Wilkie, these certainly are interesting times, and in the article, you highlight the fact that the collapse of oil prices is having a domino impact on the ethanol industry. With the demand for ethanol going down, that price is going down as well, and that's causing many ethanol plants to at least signal that they may be considering a shutdown. If those plants go off production, that's going to have an impact to cattle feeders in Nebraska in that we've been using a lot of that distiller's grains to provide protein and energy to cattle with different scenarios, whether that's calves or cattle in a feed yard. Walk through us some things that producers should consider as they think about their options if we should enter into a scenario where they're not able to get distiller's grains. So one thing producers can evaluate is what type of protein that animal they're feeding really needs. Distiller's grains has a lot of rumen undegradable protein, which is important for muscle growth and structure, skeletal growth, and and milk production. Uh, A pregnant cow that's not lactating yet actually just needs a nitrogen source for the rumen to help the microbes in the rumen digest poor quality feed. We've historically been using distiller's grains for those cows because it's been very economical to do, but that cow does not need necessarily that amount of rumen undegradable protein at that point. And that's one class of animals that could maybe go on to an alternative source of protein. And another thing that we can consider is cutting back the rate of gain on backgrounding calves. Distillers grains has always been a very good supplement force because it provides rumen undegradable protein and a lot of energy as well. But with the market downturn, people are considering holding cattle longer, so we could move our growing calves to a slower rate of gain, reducing the need for the amount of distillers that we have been feeding. So there are some alternatives we can discuss. As we think about those alternatives, in some cases, people have some supply of distillers' grains on hand. What are some strategies they might think through in terms of where they use that distiller's grains that they still have and maybe how to stretch that out to um, make it go as long as they can? So as we were just discussing that the pregnant cow doesn't really need distillers, so she'd be the first class of cattle that I would just take the distillers out and use a a different protein source for her, whether that be alfalfa hay or urea-based cube or or whatever, but I'd take the distiller's grains out of her diet. As we were discussing, we could cut back on the distillers or even take it out of a growing calf ration if we were willing to go from maybe a target of three pounds a day to one and a half pounds a day gain on some backgrounding calves that we were just going to hold. So we could either cut back or cut out there. A class of cattle I'm a little concerned about would be the lactating first calf heifer who is very soon going to be asked to go out and rebreed again. And she has a pretty high requirement for both protein and energy. And I am a little concerned in meeting her needs without that. And so she would be a class that I would try to save some distillers grains for 
So I'd, I'd kind of try to take a strategic plan as to who I could cut it out of their diet now and how, who I could kind of cut it back on to kind of stretch it and who I feel like my critical animals might be that I'd want to be the very last to pull off of that. So as we think about these ration changes, especially at a ranch level, if we start to pull distillers grains out of these diets, we're also not just removing protein, but we're removing a significant source of energy. How should we think about addressing that in these kind of scenarios? So we probably are going to have to do more than just swap out a protein source. Um, if we were providing energy and protein, and then we just kind of added some urea in there or something, you know, we wouldn't, that would not equate to the same performance. And so, you know, as long as we have the nitrogen needs being met, which we could do through urea or um, alfalfa or some other source, and there are lots of different sources depending on what part of the state you're in, but we could add some corn as long as that nitrogen is being available there. We could include some corn silage into the diet to increase the energy in place of some of the hay. And so there's not going to be across the board substitutions, but there certainly are some other commodities that we could work into the diet to kind of help us bridge those gaps in the protein and energy requirements that we used to meet with distillers. For folks who are considering bringing in some urea as a nitrogen source, what do they need to make sure they have in place in their ration to make sure that that's utilized effectively? Well, I think that um, a good uh, structural carbohydrate source is, is part of that. But the ability to mix that well, um, and that may be a ground corn carrier, and then an ability to weigh that out effectively could be important. Sometimes there are companies that, you know, sell a liquid supplement with a, some urea in it. And so that might be an option to use something like that in place of that. Um, but again, some kind of good digestible um, structural carbohydrate is pretty important. If, if you are just feeding urea and some really, really poor quality forage, those animals may not perform to your satisfaction. As folks think about comparing different protein options to substitute or replace distiller's grains, what are some things they should think through in evaluating those protein sources? So one of the things that we have talked about, especially for people on the eastern side of the state, is, is just a whole soybean. And there are some limitations to that and because of the fat content in, in them. But that might be an economical source if transportation is not a long way to include some of that in a cow diet, you know, up to three pounds or something. That could be the nitrogen source that could provide the nitrogen source that that cow needs. For somebody that's clear out in western Nebraska, that might not, the transportation cost should definitely be considered in all these commodities. So when we're comparing prices, you need to include those transportation costs in there. If there's somebody has got some field peas in a bin somewhere, that might, might be a good time to pull those out and use them. So again, you know, the cost of that, transportation or handling, storage of those. If I get something different, do I have a good place to store it? That kind of thing. So those are things to think about what you're going to use in addition to just can I get it and can I handle it and what's it going to cost to get it here. The other thing that can be kind of confusing is, is one supplement may cost X and another one costs Y and they have different 
amounts of protein in them. So trying to get those on a comparable level can help producers quite a bit decide which one's going to be the best buy for them. So what you need to do is take your price of your commodity on a ton basis with your transportation costs included in that ton. So if it costs you know, $200 to pick it up at the factory but they're at, per ton, but there's $15 a ton in transportation, go ahead and tack that on first. So get that cost and then find out what the dry matter or the moisture content is of that. So if it's 35% dry matter, 65% moisture in it, then we're going to take that $215 that we decided that it costs divided by 0.35. So that's the decimal value of that dry matter. That's going to give us the dry ton of feed that we're getting. And then we're going to take that number and divide it by the protein content of that feed. So then if that feed was 30% true protein, then we're going to say divided by 0.3. So we're going to use the decimal of that. And that tells us how much that commodity costs per ton of dry crude protein. And then we can do that to our alternative source. And then we can compare those and see which ones may be the best buy for us on a, a protein basis. Anything else, Dr. Wilkie, you'd like to highlight in terms of things people should think through as we point towards wrapping this up? I think that it's, it's really critical that people understand that there's not, it's not simple to just do a straight across the board substitution. I'm going to take out three pounds of, of this commodity and put in three pounds of this commodity. And so while extension personnel are not necessarily conducting meetings right now, we are available through email and phone calls, and it would probably be a really good idea to just get some feedback from someone that can help you make sure that if you make this substitution that you put in the right amount or that you don't overfeed something that, um, you know, as we were talking about soybeans and having fat and whole soybeans, that you don't go over the limit on that, some different things like that, and, and then just to make sure that those nutrient needs are actually being met would probably be a good idea to get analysis on your hay sources that you do have, analysis on any alternative commodities that you're going to get, and then work with somebody in extension to help you make sure that that diet that we get put together will, will meet the needs of the animal. Thanks again for joining me today, Dr. Wilkie. Thanks for having me. Well, for more information on the article that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I'd encourage you to visit the beef.unl.ed website. At the website, you will be able to find additional information on this topic.